Parshish Shalach. Torah names. One of the outstanding features in the Torah is the subject of Shemos, the giving of names. Today we give names without too much consideration, but in the ancient times it was a bigger endeavor. Of course, there is consideration today too. Should we name him after this Zaydi or after that one? Which family do we have to accommodate more? But it's not like it used to be. So even today, there are considerations. But in ancient times, especially at the beginning of our history, there was much more to the name. There was much more purpose in giving a name. And that's why throughout the Tanakh, we find emphasized again and again the procedure of giving names. It's not a minor event. Every time a child is born, we read the details of who gave the name, what the name was, and what it symbolizes. Now, one purpose in naming a child, which is obvious to us, is that the name is a monument. It memorializes something. Sometimes the name signifies an emotion that came along with the birth of that child. It could be an expression of gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what our first mother did when she called the first child ever born Cain. She said, Kiniti ish es Hashem. I have acquired a man from Hashem. It was a very big event. In the history of mankind, the first childbirth. The truth is, even if it was the millionth childbirth or the billionth, the quadrillionth, it's still amazing. How could it happen? A mother eats fish and peas and bread, and she drinks milk, and finally, a child is produced. That's all it is. A child doesn't come from the mother. It comes from the materials that the mother eats. She eats potatoes, and out comes a baby. Chemically, that's as true as could be. So even today, it's a miracle. Every time a child is born, it's an opportunity to laugh in the faces of the evolutionists. They say it's an accident. It happened by random gene mutations. And in the course of time, it developed that there was such a thing as reproduction. We're laughing our sides off at that claim. A big guffa. Reproduction is such an accident that the biggest, most complicated machinery in the world could most easily happen as a result of an accident. That's reproduction. And so, when the first birth in history occurred, the first mother, Chava, was so delirious, so happy, so amazed, that she gave her son a name to commemorate the occasion. Kaniti Ish, I acquired a man, Et Hashem, from Hashem. And she called him Cain, as a memorial to her astonishment and happiness that a man was born from her. By the way, it's a shame when people read that, that they think that it's just a story in the Torah, a trivial part of our history. That Torah name became a teaching, an attitude that every mother and father is expected to learn. Even if the child's name is not Cain, it's Kalman or Kreindel, whatever it is. But whenever a mother looks at her sons and daughters, she reminds herself of that monument name of the first child born in this world. And she thanks Hashem. Baruch Hashem! Hashem gave me such a gift, a human being. And even when they get married and move out of the house, sometimes she walks on the street and she bumps into her daughter. Ah, Baruch Hashem, my daughter. Kaniti ish et Hashem. She sees her son and she reminds herself of that first monument name, Cain. And she thinks to herself, 
Baruch Hashem, I was gifted with a man from Hashem. That's how we take that Torah and use it as a teaching. That's what Torah means, teaching. And so the name Cain becomes a memorial for all of our children. However, although this is certainly true, that we should understand Torah names in the sense of monuments, memorials for a certain idea, we must keep in mind another purpose that the ancients had in mind when they bestowed names. More than a monument, a name is also a tefillah. When Chava gave her son the name Cain, she was also thinking like this. Cain is from the word kone, to acquire, and she wanted her son to be a koine, an acquirer. He should be a go-getter. Because this world is for the purpose of acquiring things. For acquiring all the things that prepare a person for the world. That matters most. And so the name Cain was a tefillah to Hashem. I didn't bring my little boy into this world merely so that I should have a doll to play with. I brought him here to accomplish for you, Hashem. And so please, Hashem, please help him be a koine of all good things all good qualities, help him to acquire those things that will prepare him for life in the world to come. And so we see now a double function to a name. Every name can be a monument and it can be a prayer too. Azaria, let's say. Azaria could mean Hashem helped me when he was born. After his mother hoped and prayed that she should be blessed with a child. So she said, Azaria, Hashem helped. He heard my prayers and he helped. And it's a tefillah too. Hashem should always be a help for my child. The same is Hananiah. It's a monument of gratitude. Hashem graciously bestowed a child on me. And it's also a prayer. Hashem, please deal with my little boy with Chayn. Now in some cases, it wasn't merely a prayer for the child. It was a prayer for the Jewish nation. Nechemia ben Chachalia. That's the name of Nehemiah Hatirshosa. Now Nehemiah, you know, was born in the time of exile, Gulz Babel. And you see immediately that there were prayers in his name and in his father's name too. Nehemiah means Hashem is going to console. Nachamu, Nachamu Ami. That's Nehemiah. It's a prayer that the Gulz should come to an end and the nation should be restored to Eretz Yisrael and to its glory. And so Nehemiah's pious parents gave him that name. And whenever they said, Nehemiah, come and eat. Nehemiah, get up. Nehemiah, it's time to go to sleep. They were Mechavein Pedush Hamilus. They spoke that name with intent, with meaning. Not like we. We just say, Nehemiah. It's a name, that's all. And sometimes we abbreviate it. Chemke. And we forget the origin. But Nehemiah's parents had that tefillah in mind. He wasn't named after some uncle or some grandfather. They invented that name. And so they used the Pedush Hamilus of that name. Whenever they said his name, they were saying that tefillah. And his father too. Hachalia means chake leka, hope to Hashem. It means as difficult as things may seem to be in Gullus, always look to Hashem for his help. So here you had a father and a son whose names commemorated a very important ideal of turning towards Hashem. They were in Gullus and they were praying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu with their names. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Let's say you have a son named Yeshaya. So whenever you call him, you're having in mind the Peter Shamilus. 
Hashem should be your salvation. Isn't that a wonderful exercise for a pious mother? She doesn't say, Shaika, come here. She's thinking, Yeshaya, Hashem should help him. He should help him to become big. He should be healthy and live long. He should be rich. He should be a big Talmud Chochem. He should get a good Shidduch. All the good things. Not only does she daven for him from the Siddur at Shabbos candle lighting, but even when she calls her son to eat supper, Yeshaya, come down to eat. She's thinking, Hashem should save you from all the troubles. You shouldn't choke Chas Vishalem on the food, and your body should absorb all the food in a good way, and you should be only healthy and wealthy. Isn't that a beautiful way to call your child to the table? Here is a Frum father. He doesn't say, Yidle, come here. Maybe he does, but once in a while, he calls him Yehuda too. Yehuda, please take out the garbage. And he has in mind when he says Yehuda, he should praise Hashem. In Old Hebrew, the hay of Hephil many times was not dropped in future. Yehosef, we say Yosef, he will add. Or Yodeh, he will praise. But in ancient Hebrew, in many cases, the hay remained in future tense. So Yehuda means he will praise. And so the good father puts some thought into it. I'm davening to the Almighty that my Yidle should spend his life praising Hashem. And so we see now that Jewish names are really Jewish prayers. Why do Jews call their children the names of animals like Dov, a bear, Ze'ev, a wolf, and Aryeh, a lion? The answer is, it's a prayer. It's a tefillah that this Jew should have these qualities. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes a Jew has to be a bear or a lion or a wolf. You know when you see a bear walking down the street at night, you're not going to walk up and shake hands with him. You see him even five blocks away, you'll stop a taxi and you'll take it to the other direction. If there's no taxi, you'll climb the telegraph pole. That's because a bear means business. A Jew has to be a bear. He has to be a hero, a strong hero, willing to go into combat for the honor of Hashem. Aryeh, a Jew has to be a lion. He has to be strong-willed and fearless like a lion. The Jew is going to pass through so many vicissitudes in life. He's going to duel with so many nations and so many different cultures. And in order to survive and in order to remain loyal, it will be necessary for him to be a lion. Not to cower, not to yield, and not to budge. Ze'ev, he's a wolf. A wolf is always hungry and a loyal Jew is hungry for mitzvahs. He's hungry to serve Hashem. He doesn't serve Hashem like somebody who is forcing himself to. No. For avoid this Hashem, he has an appetite like a wolf. When a wolf eats up a sheep, he doesn't do it, l'shem mitzvah, like somebody who ate a lot on Erev Shabbos. And now on Friday night, he's not able to eat anymore. But what can he do? He has to sit down at the Suda and eat some more. No. He's hungry for mitzvahs. That's why you call him a wolf. And therefore, all these names, Torah names, Jewish names, represent certain desirable characteristics of service of Hashem. That's what we were praying for. We need Kayins and Yehudas and Nehemias and Dovs and Ze'evs and Aryes. All types of names and Tefilas. We need them all. It's not a bad idea, by the way, if we would practice this once in a while. Not only a mother and father. 
Anytime you mention the name of a fellow Jew, you can exercise this tefillah aspect of the name. It's not easy. It's worth it anyhow. Because that's what a Torah name is all about. That's what our forefathers did when they used the names. As much as possible, they used them to remind themselves of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to daven to him. Now, we'll try to take this subject a step further. Everyone remembers the story about what Moshe Rabbeinu did before he sent Yoshua off with the rest of the Meraglim on a mission to spy out Eretz Canaan. Moshe was afraid that Yoshua might yield to the urging of the others, and so he made sure to prepare Yoshua for the difficult test. These Meraglim were great men after all, and there would be a question of Yoshua being able to oppose the majority. It's not easy for a minority to maintain its opinion against the majority, especially when the majority is made up of men who are worldly, wise, and respected. And so Moshe was afraid that Yeshua might not be fortified enough to stand up against the attitude of the others. And so, what did Moshe do? What was his plan to give Yeshua the strength to maintain his clarity of vision in order to persist against the opposition? He gave him a new name. You hear such a thing? Moshe wanted Yeshua to feel that he was important, that he should have the self-confidence, that he would need to stand tall. And so, Vayikra Moshe, the Hoshea bin Nun, Yehoshua. Moshe called him Yehoshua instead of Hoshea. Now everybody knows what the Chachamim tell us in the Gemara, in Sota. It was a prayer. Yehoshua means, Ka Yoshiacha, Me'atzat HaMeraglim. Hashem should rescue you from the council of the other Meraglim. You shouldn't be overwhelmed by their opinion. That's what our sages tell us. That Moshe spent time praying for Yoshua. But that's actually not the whole story. Because a name is more than just a prayer. When Moshe added that Yud to Hoshea, his intention was to add dignity to Yehoshua. By giving him a new, more dignified name, he was actually telling him, Now you have the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yud K in your name. And that dignity will strengthen you and help you overcome the obstacles you'll face. You should know who you are. That's what Moshe was telling Yoshua. Praying, that's very good. But a person needs self-esteem too. A person who knows that he's a neshama, that Hashem put inside of him some of his own greatness. Moshe said, that's a person who has the dignity of self-confidence. Not to become bottle. He doesn't cower before the opposition. Hashem is with you. And if you recognize that, if you understand who you are, you can accomplish anything. And so, the most important purpose of this new name, adding into his name the name of Hashem, was so that Yehoshua should recognize his true value, his true self-worth, and have the courage not to yield to the attitudes of those who wish to pressure him in the wrong direction. You have the name of Hashem in you. And that means your potential is unlimited. And don't think it was superfluous. If he hadn't done that, if Yahshua hadn't recognized himself and encouraged himself, who knows what would have happened. It wasn't a simple matter to oppose these great men. And therefore, along with the prayer, it was necessary also to let Yahshua himself know who he was. And that way, when the test would come, he'd have enough boldness to speak up, to maintain his stand in opposition to the majority. 
Now that's a very important lesson we learned from the procedure of giving a new name to Hosea. Because that's a big problem for the Jew today. He doesn't realize who he is. The greatness of every person is beyond our ability to measure. But when he doesn't know, if he didn't study the subject, then he doesn't have the backbone to stand up to the world because he's lacking in dignity. Without the backbone, he bends. He cowers before the attitudes of the Gentile streets. He cringes before other Jews who thinks he's a fanatic. Even before his chaverim, he doesn't have the self-esteem to do what's right. Why is it that many firm women today aren't dressed with the old-time sneers of our nation? Because it takes strength. It takes self-esteem. The poor woman is fighting a battle. She wears a dress down to her knees, at least when she's standing, it's down to her knees. As she walks down the block, her face is flaming because all the women are pointing at her and saying, look at that old-fashioned one. Today, one has to be a martyr, even for covering her knees. And so the name Yehoshua is teaching us what we have to acquire. It means that the from Jew, even the best one, has to build up a store of self-esteem within his own mind. He has to recognize his greatness and acquire the self-confidence that will accompany him wherever he goes in this world. Now, I must say one important thing before we continue. Because that word self-esteem is bandied about irresponsibility today. In this place, when we use that word, we're not talking about the self-esteem of Freud. Freud's self-esteem means that people should live for individualistic self-expression. To express the self without inhibitions. Which means it's a self-esteem that encourages the worst passions, the most base desires, the gratification of the lowest impulses of the self. Freud's self-esteem means that you're a dog. The psychologists and the therapists who are draining a cup with the self-esteem of Freud are ruining people. I remember a case from years ago. There was a woman who didn't feel well, so she went to a psychologist. And so he taught her to give up all inhibitions. She was a firm woman, by the way. I knew her well. I admired her. What happened? It began like this. When she was bothered by a neighbor who was pushing around her garbage can, she opened up her window and she said dirty curse words from the window. She was obeying her psychologist. No inhibitions. Freudian self-esteem. Things went bad to worse, and finally they became so bad that her husband couldn't keep her anymore. It was understood he gave her a get, because she was expressing herself. No, that's not the self that the Torah is talking about. The Torah's self-esteem means the greatness that everyone has in him. The Tselem Elohim, the Chelek Eloka Mimal, the unlimited potential for achievement. On the contrary... It's the Torah self-esteem that gives you the strength you need to curb passion and to overcome the wickedness that crops up from time to time in the mind. It gives you the strength to overcome all obstacles. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching Yoshua when he changed his name. That Ka Yehoshiacha, recognize your greatness and that will fortify you. Now, when you read this story, don't think it's intended only for Yoshua. It's intended for you. It doesn't matter if you're a Chaim or a Chana, a Baruch or Blima. Every Jew has to be a Yehoshua too. Every man and woman, boy and girl, has to acquire the self-esteem and confidence that he can struggle against the tests that he faces in life and succeed. Like it says, 
Don't be a rasha in your own eyes. There's no such thing as an unimportant person. And surely, when it comes to Jews, there is certainly no such thing as an unimportant Jew. Every Jew is a repository of tremendous qualities and capabilities, and that's paramount in the whole subject of chinuch. The chinuch of our children and ourselves to give a person a sense of future potentiality, to let him know what he could be. What happens when a person does not recognize his or her own greatness? Terrible mistakes are made. Didn't all the Maraglim have beautiful and inspiring names? They did, absolutely. But because they didn't make use of them, they didn't realize their own greatness. They didn't understand that they were anshe shame. So they brought misfortune upon themselves and the Klal Yisroel. That's what our sages tell us. They say that the names of the Maraglim were turned inside out. You know, the Gemara in Masech Sota says about the Maraglim that we have a tradition from our forefathers that the spies' names were because of their deeds, because of the wrongs that they had done. They were given these names. What's the example the sages give us? Stur ben Michoel. He was one of the Maraglim. What does his name mean? Shesatar ma'asav shel He contradicted and broke down the work of Hashem. That's stur, to break down. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was bringing them now to their happiness in Eretz Yisrael. And all of a sudden, Sesur ben Michoel got up and he became a barrier, an obstacle. He said, no, don't do it. He discouraged them. Sesur means shesatar. He contradicted and broke down. Ma'asav shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He broke down the intentions of Hashem. And what about Michoel? Sesur spoiled even his father's name. Michol means he made HaKadosh Baruch Hu low. Mach means low, like in the Pasuk. Ki yamuch achicha, when your brother will fall low. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to bring them successfully into the land. But what did Sesur ben Michol say? Don't try it now. Wait! Some other time, let's do it. It's too dangerous. There are giants. They're powerful and will be decimated. They'll massacre us. So instead of making HaKadosh Baruch Hu great and powerful, Sesur ben Michoel made him small and weak, and he broke down the plan of Hashem. Now many people, when they learn this, they make a mistake. Could it really be that this Ish Shem, the man of a good name, actually had such a wicked name? Because remember, this name was given by his parents when he was born. Would his mother have given him such a name? Sesur, somebody who contradicts and breaks down Hashem's plans. And Michoel, that he lowers the honor of Hashem. No, no, that's preposterous. You can be sure that the mother of Sesur, when she gave him his name, she was thinking about the Yoishev Beseter Elyon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is my protector. Or I'm hiding in Hashem. And it was that name that he was expected to live up to. His mother hoped he'll be a man who trusts in Hashem. He'll have faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And he'll say, if Hashem told us to enter the land, let's go anyway. Don't be afraid. Like Kalev and Yoshua, he'd be strong enough to stand tall. Same thing for Michoel. Michoel means, who is like Hashem? Mi Kakel. That's a glorious name of Amuna. Only that he took his name and he changed it. Now that may seem just like a play on words. He changed the name. How could it be? His mother didn't mean that. The answer is 
that he chose a different way. And now we know retroactively that this is what he made from himself. Instead of rising to the challenge with dignity and self-confidence like Yehoshua did, he made himself sesur, one who tried to break down Hashem's plans. Because that's a big function of living in this world, to live up to the potential of your name, the ideals in your name, and all the good Jewish names. Now, you'll ask me about different names. Well, if I would get paid for overtime, we could sit together. We could stay here all night and talk about names. Why not? And we'd have a good time at it. Because every name can be interpreted Latova. Every name is a monument to an important attitude and an ideal that encourages it. You should try thinking like that. By the way, try thinking in that direction. You're using the names anyhow. If you live among the Fruma, you're using Torah names all the time. Bitzalel, we are living in the shade, the protection of Kel. Amram, my nation belongs to the one on high. Yocheved, Hashem is my glory. It adds a flavor to your day when wherever you go, if you're looking for it, you will be encouraged by the inspiring names that our nation has bequeathed to posterity. It adds zest to life. But there's one name that we have to always be thinking about. There's one Torah name that belongs to all of us. No matter what you're called, even if you're unfortunate enough to still be a Jeffrey or a Susan, there's still one name of pride, of encouragement, and authentic self-esteem that belongs to you. Because whatever your name is, it's also Yisroel. Ubeshem Yisroel Yichane. And you will be called Yisroel, Yishaya. Ah! The most beautiful of all names, Yisroel. Now in the ancient times, our nation studied their names. They lived with the attitude of their name. You know what Yisroel means. It's a name that signifies the highest aristocracy. Yisroel means that you are the one who is the prince of the world. From the word Sar, Kisarita, you have been knighted. Knighted means that you are capable of anything. You remember when we got that name? Yaakov was struggling with the Malach, and he wouldn't give in. Now, it's true that Yaakov had big muscles. Remember when he rolled the stone off the well by himself, a stone that needed a lot of shepherds. He must have had big biceps to do that. And so Yaakov wasn't a Nebuchal. He was very strong. But those biceps didn't count for anything against the Malach. Yaakov succeeded because he had more than muscles. He had the courage that comes from what we call conviction. He knew that Hashem had given his promise. I'm going to be with you. He knew who he was. And that's why he wouldn't give in. And that's when he got that name. Hashem told him, Ki sarita im elokim v'im anashim. You're a prince when you're dealing with angels and men. By means of pride in that name, you'll always be a prince. Even when you're dealing with the biggest obstacles. Even a malach. You're not supposed to say, well... It's a malach. What's the use of opposing him? Oh no! A Yisrael knows who he is. He is fortified with the confidence that he is important and that he can succeed. You will gain power and overpower. Your name tells you that. Don't disdain that. That's why the Jew is urged always to remember Yisrael, who you are and never forget your nobility. You shouldn't sink beneath the level that this name requires of you. That name should always be on your mind because all of our courage, all of our self-confidence and strength comes from that name. That's why the Jew was given this name. 
so that we should always remember that name and be fortified in our encounters with all opponents. Yisroel is in the future tense. It means that forever, in all your relationships with the world, you have to realize that you are a prince. No matter what you will face in this world, no matter who you'll face, you have all the dignity you need to win out against all of the ordeals, all the self-esteem that you need, all of the self-confidence that people are searching for is found in that name because you have gained power. Yisra, by means of the name of Hashem, Kel, that supports you. And that's why Yaakov's children, the Bnei Yisrael, never gave in. The whole world was against them. But that meant nothing to the Jew who was fortified with the vitamins of the self-esteem of the name Yisrael. Even to the death they refused. As they were standing on the scaffold in Spain and the priest approached them with a cross and he offered them, if you'll kiss the cross, we'll do you the favor of not burying you alive. That was considered a very big favor from the compassionate Christians. They would slay you on the spot instead of roasting you slowly. But the Yisroel wouldn't yield. Even if their lives would be saved, even then they wouldn't yield. The Yisroel had the self-esteem to gladly accept the rack. He gladly allowed their skin and their flesh to be combed off their bones while he was alive. Because he knew who he was. The entire nation knew they were Yisroel. And therefore, nobody thought of imitating the Gentiles or assimilating. Not even for a moment. If it happened once in a rare while, it was a low character. And it was a good riddance that the Jewish people were able to spit him out, to vomit him out. But the masses of the people were all heroes because their name told them who they were. That's all you need to make in this world, to know that you're Yisroel. People always ask me, what do you do for self-esteem? All the time I'm getting phone calls about that. If you're a Jew, that should be the first basis for self-confidence. I am from the Amashem. If somebody never learned to respect himself as a Jew, he'll be faint-hearted. He'll try to hide his identity among the Umas Ha'olam when he comes among Gentiles or among irreligious Jews. But when somebody appreciates what's important, when he learns what it means to be chosen, he elevated us among all the nations. Once a person understands that, so every Jew has a reason to be proud. It's only those who don't understand that, who don't have the true criteria. Those are the ones who are lacking in self-confidence. And therefore, when we face anybody, we face them with the backbone of a Yisroel. Let's say you face an evolutionist. Suppose it happens that the dean of a college by accident meets you and he says, What? You still don't believe in evolution in this day and age? So you can be a Yisroel and tell him off. I'm not saying you should spit in his face. A dignified person, a confident person doesn't have to do that. So you tell him like this. If you believe in evolution, then tell me. How does it happen that all fruits, when they are ripe, they're easier to peel than when they are raw? Ask him that question. That's an accident of evolution. An accident by every fruit. A banana, when it's ripe, is easier to peel. When it's not ripe, it's hard to peel. Try to peel an orange when it's hard and green. You can't peel it at all. While he's thinking about that, you'll ask him like this. Why is it that all seeds come loose when they are ripe. All seeds come loose. 
if you eat an apple when it's not ripened yet. Of course, you wouldn't want to eat it. But if you would try, the seeds wouldn't fall out. The seeds are stuck in tightly. But when it ripens, the seeds drop out while you're eating it. Why is it that all the seeds get loose as soon as this thing is ripe? Another accident? And this accident happens to all fruits and vegetables. Certainly it's an accident, he says. Over millions of years, there were gene mutations that coincided, and finally one case developed where there was an apple whose seeds did come loose, and that apple happened to survive. The other species couldn't survive because they didn't have this advantage that the seeds should fall loose and plant other apple trees. Now he is soil that is not fortified with his name's meaning. So he cowers. He shrinks into nothing before big ideas like that. Gene mutations and millions of years. But a real Yisrael laughs at that. Just tell me, he tells the professor, how did it happen that all the other trees during the millions of years, how did they happen to keep on going if they didn't have this advantage yet? If this advantage didn't develop until millions of years, it's so foolish, so empty, such sheker. You have to be a Yisrael when you face any ideology that's outrageous. And that's how the Bnei Yisrael lived always. You know when it changed? When we lost that self-awareness of our pride, our superiority. There came a time when it changed. And that was after Moshe Mendelssohn. After Moshe Mendelssohn, there became a time when people started forgetting what it means to be a Yisrael. There was a reason for that. In Germany at that time, and also in France and in England, the material circumstances of the Umas Ha'olam improved greatly. They began to make advances in technology and in sciences, and they began to live more opulently. Also, the power of the church was somewhat weakened. There arose a sect of intelligentsia who were somewhat free thinkers, and therefore among them there was a certain spirit that looked like tolerance. At the same time, the Jews in Germany began to relax in their study of Torah. Once Germany had been a center of Torah, big yeshivas with many gedolim, but now the gedolim were all in the east, and Germany was now beginning to become dim as a place of Torah. It didn't have any big places of Torah anymore. Now these two combinations, because Germany was now much weaker in Torah learning than before, and also the goyim in Germany began to become wealthier. So the Jew now began to look down at himself. He wasn't a Yisrael anymore. Now he was a Zid. Once you look down at yourself, once you don't know what a Yisrael is, so it's a different story, and you begin to forget. When you're only in Torah, so you're always reminded what Yisrael means, because the whole Gemara and the whole Medrash and our entire literature are busy emphasizing and reiterating this theme, what it means to be a Yisrael. And therefore, as long as they were immersed in Torah learning, they had the confidence. But after the Torah spirit weakened and the Goy became more wealthy and civilized, then they began to lose that authentic self-pride that a Torah Jew always has. And that's why assimilation began. And so, the answer is to go back to our name. The Am Yisrael should return to all the great attitudes that are included in the name Yisrael. That was the original plan, that they should never forget their name, that the Am Yisrael should know who they are. And that's the secret of the name Yisroel, to elicit from you the greatness that's inherent in you, the greatness which every Jew is born with natively. Have a wonderful Shabbos.
Let's get practical. Confidence from our name. Torah names are meaningful and there is much potential for growth when we add intent as we call out names of our family members and others. In our parsha, we learn how much significance Moshe Rabbeinu attached to names. Changing the name of Hosea in a bid to make his mission a success. The name of our nation, Yisroel, empowers us to stand strong against all the blandishments of the Yetzir Hara. This week, I will believe that pause every day for a moment when I reach the bracha of Ga'al Yisroel and recognize my greatness as part of the chosen nation of Hashem.